Welcome to another episode of the Meta Magic. This time with Chris Lansdell. Enjoy the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's uh, been something I've wanted to do for a while, so glad to finally be here. Well, speaking of something you wanted to do for a while, how did you get involved with podcasting? That's a, a funny story. I was I had just recently got back into magic, and I seem to remember. I don't remember if it was a new BlackBerry or just an update. But uh, the podcasting software came onto the phone, and I thought, oh, I wonder if there's any podcasts about magic. Well, it turns out there were quite a few. And uh, I just started downloading at random, and I remember hearing the Avant-Card show, now unfortunately defunct. And uh, they had some sort of contest on where you had to come up with a show idea, and then they invited me on the show to talk about it, and I was bitten. That's awesome. So when did it lead to you actually wanting to do a show? Um, I think listening to stuff like Monday Night Magic, I heard Jack and Adina on there, and they were talking about wanting to start their own show or being available to start a new show, and just hearing all the other podcasts and thinking, these guys aren't all famous. I mean, the first one I heard was Top 8 Magic, because I recognized the names. Mm-hmm. But when I listen to stuff like The A-Team, Monday Night Magic, and, and uh, Manuscrew, and Avant-Garde, I'm like, these people aren't famous. They're not known for being awesome magic players. They're just people who want to talk about magic. If they can do it, I can do it. You got to go on Avant-Garde show. You also got to go on Monday Night Magic. Yeah. That took a little while to come about. I, I had my own show by then. Uh, I had been bugging Jack for a while to talk to Tom to get me on there. And there was a lineup of hosts at the time. Yourself and Chris Artwell and, and Tom were pretty much the mainstays. And people like Gavin and Conley and Marcel were always on the show. So it was kind of hard to get a spot. What changed to make that all happen? I think that might have been a, a GP or a Pro Tour or something weekend. And there were a lot of people weren't available. And so Tom just said, uh, do you want to do Monday Night Magic this week? And it uh, took me about 15 milliseconds to say yes. <laughs> uh, when you did Monday Night Magic and you got to work with Tom the first time, what was your thoughts? I mean, it's the same as for pretty much any podcast I had listened to from the start. It was kind of intimidating. I uh, felt like I was working with celebrities, a feeling I still get, <laughs> surprisingly enough. And uh, it was kind of, yeah, I was kind of nervous, but... I settled in after a while, I think. It's a long time since I listened to that episode. You've branched off into numerous different podcasts. What's the draw to keep you coming back to doing podcasting? Because a lot of podcasters will start, do about 10 episodes, and then they'll disappear into the sunset. Oh, don't I know it. I've started a couple that, or, or worked on a couple that that's happened to. But I just love magic. I mean... Aside from my son, magic is pretty much the only thing in my life that puts a smile on my face. So any chance I get to play, talk about, watch, or just get involved with magic in any way, I'm going to take it. Uh, and being able to, to do podcasts and edit podcasts and listen to podcasts is really a way for me to give back to the game that's given me so much. You said, why do I need to give back? I'm just curious why, what the thought was behind that. Um Magic, for me, came along at a time where I was pretty much as low as it's possible for a human being to get, uh, sort of permanently attached to my couch on a nightly basis, not wanting to move from it. Uh, MTGO kind of helped with that. It got me back into the game, but obviously it wasn't getting me off my couch. Uh, and then Nationals Qualifiers came along, 
and I got involved in the paper game after buying a deck uh, on the internet from Medina, actually. And, um, you know, as I got more involved with the game in the local community, it sort of dragged me out of this funk that I was in and got me back into socializing with human beings and wanting to be around other people. And it really basically saved me at that point. And I thought, well, this game has done that for me. I have to give back somehow. Otherwise, I don't know where I'd be right now. The challenges of being a host. It's not horribly challenging to go on and express your opinion. But no. you've run numerous podcasts. How difficult is it to be the host of a podcast? I think that very much depends on the people that are on it. Um, you have to engender ca- chemistry between the people that are there. Some people are shy. You have to draw them out. I mean, I've podcasted with everybody from Noel de Cordova, who was very shy, to someone like Patrick Chapin, who you say three words to him and just let him go for 20 minutes. Um, so you have to be a good judge of character. You have to be able to fill in dead air. You have to know uh, when to ask questions and when to let someone go. You even have to know when to take the opposite side on an issue, even if you don't really believe it, just to get a conversation going. Let's talk about how also magic has gotten you into other things, like judging. Yeah. Um, I had always been interested in the rules back when I first started playing. I used to take part in a Usenet group around the rules. Uh, th- that'll put you back a few months. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and uh, I was looking into becoming a judge at that time, but there was really no way for me to do it, living as I do in an isolated place. Uh, when I got back into when I got into uh, podcasting on Avon Card Show, as you probably know, Brian Prillman was one of the hosts, and he's uh, a level two. Mm-hmm. And of course, Debbie's on there as well. She's a judge, and they basically guided me through how to become a judge, even in an isolated place. And I sort of jumped on the chance. Moving up in judge ranks is not the easiest thing to do. What are the challenges of being where you're at and judging? Period. Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, we don't get anything here unless I badge on one of the TOs to put it on. I mean, Wizards is never going to come here for anything. We finally got our first PTQ coming up later this month. But if I want to judge at a GP, I can't do what someone in Philly or Wisconsin or Wyoming even can do and get in a car and drive five hours and be at a GP venue. The closest it's going to get to me is Montreal. That's a three-hour flight. Judging and you want to judge a large-scale event. Like GP Toronto. Because you had talked about you were going to play if you didn't. When you got that notification that said, hey, Chris, you're in, what is that for you? I mean, it's always a thrill to get accepted to anything, let alone judging a big event like this. Uh, Toronto's a very central location. There's a lot of great judges in Ontario, a lot of great judges in the Northeastern U.S. who would have applied. And uh, for people that are organizing the tournament to have the faith in me to be able to judge the tournament is, is a real boost. I mean, it's... It's like an affirmation of the work you put in, you know? The difficulties of handling a large tournament. Now, you've had, to, you've been able to do one. Uh, I don't really find it that bad, to be honest with you. I like being in front of large groups. I, I thrive in high-pressure situations. So the more people you put around me and the higher pressure the situation, the better I'm, I'm going to perform. But especially as it comes to the last few rounds of day one, or if you're lucky enough to be selected to do day two, there's more on the line. So every rules question you answer could have a significant impact in somebody's day, weekend, whatever. Uh, so I can definitely see how that would play on some people. Best moment so far as a judge? Um, probably doing the feature matches at GP Vancouver. 
uh, not because I got to be on camera, but because I got to meet and, and interact with some pros. I mean, I had met Conley before at uh, GP Montreal, uh, but I got to sit down with uh, Paul Reitzel, who, by the way, is possibly the nicest person on the Pro Tour. Uh, Jackie Lee as well. And I got to sit with uh, Jeremy Schofield during his almost perfect run. So it was pretty awesome. The podcast that you're on now that are working still work. I mean, you've gone through changes. I mean, obviously, Jack's left the show Mm -hmm. and things like that. How has the transitions allowed you to keep the show going? Horde of Notions has been really lucky. The initial group of hosts was basically, I need three people who are willing to work with me, even though they don't know me from Adam. And we got really lucky with that initial group in that we gelled together quite well. Uh, some personality conflicts arose after a few episodes, and we ended up bringing in Will. And uh, he's been awesome. Like We had uh, met before when I was in Montreal, and we clicked instantly. Like, we get along really well. Some of the... Uh, artificial arguments that we have aren't really that serious. We just joke around a lot. Jack, of course, and I get along well. And Adina adds a sort of calming influence to the show. Someone needs to in that group, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Jack left was around the same time that we decided we were going to go a little softer and go with a sort of less rambunctious approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt that we were limiting ourselves by swearing and constantly and, and just being way too aggressive and I wanted to be able to get our our show out to a wider audience so uh, not that I don't think Jack is capable of that but with him leaving it seemed like a good time to transition bring in a new host and have them start from day one and I really never considered anybody but Travis for the role and he's he's fit in perfectly Uh, his style of deck building and his style of humor fits in really well with everybody else so I think I've just been really either good or lucky or both at selecting the people that I want to be on the show with me. You've managed to also, in the midst of all this, play magic. <laughs> yes. How do you manage to juggle, we'll get into more of that a little bit, being a dad, judge, podcaster, you also write articles, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, and still try to play magic and be good at it? Well, whether I'm good at it or not is still open to debate, I think. Um, Basically, I don't actually do anything else. I go to work, I come home, and then it's magic. Um, That might sound a little sad to some people, but that's where my life is right now. My son is the most important thing to me, but after him, there is nobody that I'm seeing. I'm not dating anyone. I'm not in a relationship. So my time is my own, and I've chosen to put it all into magic right now. Playing magic is more fun to me than judging, but I will often judge instead of play because it's more important to the community. Having said that, if I I haven't got better at magic, everybody else around me has got worse. I I must have got better because I can see the improvements. I'm playing better. I'm winning more. I'm seeing things I didn't see before. So I think it's just being around all of these people that I speak to on a daily basis, I interact with on Twitter that I have on my show, and writing articles and being able to analyze my own play from several different angles, both writing about it and actually being involved in it and talking about it with other people, has made me into a better player. And I I think it all sort of fits together. Let's talk about writing. 
Uh, writing magic is, I feel, in many ways, almost more difficult than playing magic. Uh, Absolutely. Because to be able to put words down that make sense to people, that want the people want to read them, is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, you've managed to go from being an independent writer on Wrong Way Go Back, and now you are on Manage How did you manage to work from being an independent writer to getting your thoughts in a, I guess you would say, a cohesive order to get on Uh, KYT and I are pretty good friends, and uh, he was looking for people who could write regularly. I had written a couple of articles for him before and um, didn't really have a a sort of concrete direction to go. And I think, uh, like you said, writing about magic is not easy. You've got excellent players like, I mean, John Finkel's the greatest magic player who ever lived. I don't think I've ever read an article that he's written. I mean, I don't know if he even has. I might have missed him. He did a little bit on Star City Games, but you'd have to go search the archives for that. So the fact that somebody that amazing at the game isn't a weekly writer tells you that not everybody can write about magic. And even if they can, not any, no, not many people are going to read some nobody unless they have the skill to write. Writing about magic is the hardest thing I've ever had to do for writing. Uh, I used to write about wrestling and video games for a site called 411 Mania. And um, my articles over there were really well-received. I loved doing them, but I never found them challenging. Writing about magic, even as I've got better as a player, is both difficult in terms of providing constant quality, but also in terms of actually coming up with something that people want to read. And I think when I came up with the idea of talking about my local community, which everybody knows I'm really passionate about, and the FMMs that we have, it really resonated with KYT because he knows how passionate I am about it, and he knew I could put together an article and make that passion show through. The decision in your case to really kind of take this to the next level, I mean, you've gotten a person on your show that I have not had yet on my show, and John Finkel. You go out and you're aggressively going after people to come on the show. How has that worked out for you, and what do you do differently than anyone else to try to get him on the show? <laughs> I, I think with John I had an inside track because we used to play at the same game store uh, when I first started playing Magic. So I sort of leveraged that to get him to agree. <laughs> um, flattery, I think, works well, especially with people like uh, your Mike Flores and your Patrick Chapins. Flores especially likes to have his ego inflated, and I'm not above doing that. But um, I think timing and... Having a good reputation as an interviewer. I mean, I think in the community we have three excellent interviewers with yourself and Scott, and then I, I'm going to put myself in that category. And I, I mean, I've had John, I've had Conley, Patrick Chapin, Sam Black, Brad Nelson. Like, these are people that, you know, the magic community at large wants to hear from, but they don't often get a chance to hear from. And I think in going after them at times when they want to come on and say something, like we had Sam Black on uh, in between events at a time when he was basically being hailed as the greatest deck builder on the planet. And he basically dismissed that and said Shouter was above him. It's arguable. But we had uh, John on just after he was considering getting back into it. This was before uh, Pro Tour Everson restored. We had Chapin on. Uh, to talk about a book that he had coming up. We had Flores on to talk about the OMG. So it, it's all about timing. What do you want to do next? 
It's interesting because I have very clear steps that I want to take in every aspect of what I do with Magic. Uh, in terms of being a player, I want to play at a Grand Prix and make day two. I want to make the Pro Tour. Those are things that are goals that I have set for myself. In terms of judging, I want to judge on the Pro Tour, which probably means I need to get level three, which is a ways off yet, but it's a goal. In terms of podcasting, aside from wanting to work with BDM and Marshall, which I haven't done yet, I want to do what you and Joey Pasco and Marshall have done and get into a coverage booth. That's... I think the main goal and probably the closest one for me, I'm pretty sure I could do it. And given that other people have done it before me, the, the precedent is there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I'd also do a wicked Rich Hagon impression, but I don't think many people want to hear that. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think that's that's my main goal. That is what I want to do literally next is is get into a coverage booth whether it be for a round or to cover somebody or something just just so i can show what i can do behind the microphone well one of the opportunities i don't know if if they're going to bring it back next year uh i think it was last year kyt did the canadian magic tour and they had a couple events on sure you have the ability to to lead and direct people and that's something that is not always a given um a lot of times you could have two great knowledge bases, but if neither one know how to direct it, it becomes this back and forth kind of, I'm going to overtop you, I'm going to jump over you, back and forth kind of thing, instead yes. of mm -hmm. directing. Well, you can direct people. Well, thanks for that. And I agree with you, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, when I heard you and Adam Prozac, uh, that was indie, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I thought you guys meshed really well. I love Adam in the booth because he's honest and fresh, and you were guiding him down those paths really well. Uh, I think Joey and Mike Flores work the same way because Joey can – there are not many people who could control Mike Flores. Joey's one of them. And they sort of gel really well. Uh, anybody who's ever heard me on a podcast, which I'm presuming is quite a few people by now, um, knows that I can talk, and sometimes too much. But – I think in a situation where I'm clearly there to extract knowledge from the expert, I would be more comfortable dragging that knowledge out of them and letting them do a lot of the talking. If you were with anybody in the booth right now, I could say, okay, it's GP Toronto. BDM, not close. Okay. Not even close. For the GG's live crew, I think for my first time in the booth, I'd want a color guy who has been everywhere, done it all, seen it all. I, I love Rich Hagan, I love Marshall, but they play the other side of the of the of the table, the side that I would be sitting on normally. Uh -huh. uh, and BDM is a guy I've never worked with, always wanted to work with. We seem to have a fair bit in common from from what I've seen and interacted with him on social media, and he knows so much. It's amazing. Uh, he has such a. An, I mean, his encyclopedia just doesn't run out. And yeah, he can pull up stuff from nowhere. I mean, this is, we're talking about Grand Prix Amsterdam, 1997. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when? He just pulls that out of his hat, right? Yeah, like, yes. It's not like he has notes or anything, what he might do, but I have my doubts somehow. No, there's no there's no way he could have notes, not to have that kind of um, knowledge base. If we were talking SCG crew, 
Um, probably Prozac or Cedric Phillips. I think I'd put Cedric slightly ahead uh, just because I find him incredibly funny and I think we could have a good chemistry. But I really enjoy what Prozac does on that side of the booth. Adam is a definitely very, very talented, at, and he just loves being fed stuff. Because if you just you just keep feeding him the right stuff at the right time, he'll just run with it. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that he does like he does like a little back and forth. So you have to give him a little counterbalance once in a while, saying, "Well, you know, what about this, this, and this?" And that works really well with him. And that's what makes Adam really good at it. I mean, he did back to back weekends. Yeah. And that's pretty difficult in the grand scheme of things. You've seen a lot of magic over time. Yes. If there was a match that you could judge, what would it be and why? You mean one that has just any, pick any match, any two players? Any two players? No, no, a match that you've seen. Oh. That you would have liked to have been there as the head judge. Uh, that's an interesting one, because, I mean, the temptation is there to pick a famous one where there was some shady play going on so that I could stop it. But I think I'm going to go with the match between Cedric Phillips and, oh, I forget who it was, at GP Boston. Um, it was a friend of his, and there was a ton of joking going on at the table, and everybody seemed to be having an absolute blast. How much easier for for you, to, as a judge, have people at the table that aren't all stiff and nervous and stuff like that, to have two people like Cedric and that other gentleman he was playing that were just having fun and laughing? Um, I, th I think it, it makes it easier to relax. Although, I mean, as a judge, when you're running around a GP, you're going to get called to 50 or 60 tables in the run of a day, and the, uh, the mood could be anything from relaxed and laughing to tense as heck. And that, you know, you just make your ruling and move along. But... I mean, obviously, it's always easier to work with nice people, happy people, and those guys seem to be having such a great time, and the, the judge was interacting with them. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, this is a game. You know, I mean, yes, we're playing with thousands of dollars on the line, but it's still a game, and if we can have fun while we're winning slash losing, doesn't that just make it easier? If you could tell someone who wants to do this like you did, wants to start in podcasting, work their way through, you know, eventually maybe even start writing things like that, what would you tell them? Besides, don't do it. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> strike a balance. Not everyone can do what I do. Not everyone can dedicate as much time and sacrifice as much sleep. You don't have to do everything. Take it bit by bit. Let it come to you. Don't force yourself on people. This time last year, I had 150 Twitter followers, 10 episodes of a podcast, and nobody knew who I was. Now I'm well above that, and people start to know who I am. People know. People have heard my name. It will happen organically. It, this, if you are good at what you do, it will attract attention. Choose a few people who can get the word out for you. Uh, people like Medina, if, they, if he finds value in your work, will plug it for you. Uh, I will as well, although I don't have the reach that Medina does. Nobody does. Well, Horus. Yeah. I, I, I was lucky enough that the people I initially chose for Horde of Notions had connections with, like, uh, Noyan was friends with Joey Pasco, so they had the, uh, the, the, um, 
the uh, Yo MDG Taps angle to explore. I had uh, Adina and Jack on Monday Night Magic, so they pimped me through that. Those, that's what you need. You need to network. You need to have connections. You also need to make sure that you're good at it. Anybody can pick up a microphone and talk into it and record it on Audacity and call it a podcast. I can agree with that completely. That doesn't mean it's a good podcast, and it doesn't mean that anyone's going to want to listen to it. Anybody can write an article, but nobody is going to read it unless you have something good to say and you're good at stating it. So find what you're good at and stick to that. If you're good at more than one thing, great. But put effort into it. Try and make it as professional as possible. Take the time to learn the editing software, learn the recording software. Ask for advice. This is such a welcoming and helpful community. I got a ton of help from people like Kyle, you know, Carrie Dan, who edits the A-Team. Uh, Marshall helped me a lot with editing and sound quality. Uh, both he and Joey Pasco gave me a lot of feedback when I was looking to change Horde of Notions. Uh, I've, I've just had so much help from people that I, I would feel guilty not giving that help back to anybody who asked for it. That's why I go on so many shows. People ask me, and I go on, because they know I'm going to pimp it when it comes out. I know it's going to help them because if they don't have the follower base, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everybody listens to what I say, but I have a wider reach than they do. So if I can make some people listen to their show and it sticks, then I've returned the favor that everybody did for me. In general, so far, this whole year of magic, what could have possibly gone better for you? <laughs> um, Maybe winning a GP, I, but, you know. Well, I mean, I don't even think... I, I think if I'd taken that route, things would have gone significantly differently for me. What could have gone better? Um, I'm still haunted by my rather poor appearance on the eight team on uh, the episode that I was on. I think I tried too hard, and, and it, it kind of set me back. I uh, I picked a few fights that I shouldn't have picked. I think mostly... I'm, if there's anything I'm unhappy with, it's in the way I've re related to certain people. And my achievements and what I've been able to accomplish with my writing and my podcasting couldn't be happier. I mean, the only way it could be better is if it had been more successful, and that's just greedy. Um, but I, I think, in general, just, just some of the people that I have upset or annoyed is, is the only thing I would change. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Minute Magic with Chris Slidesdale. As you can see, there's a lot that makes Chris Slidesdale the person he is. He's someone that is now a heavily faced community, someone that is going to give back to magic and make magic better for everyone. Again, thank you for listening.